0: How should Christians understand and apply the Old Testament law? Many Christians are bewildered by the law sections of the Old Testament and sadly tend to ignore them. My guest on today's show wants to help us to understand the law and its applications to us today. His name is Richard E. Averbeck, and we discussed his new book, The Old Testament Law for the Life of the Church, Reading the Torah in the Light of Christ. Richard E. Averbeck, is a professor of Old Testament and Semitic languages at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He is the co-editor of An Excellent Fortress for His Armies, A Refuge for His People, and the author of many articles in journals and reference works. Before we get into this episode, let me just encourage you to subscribe to our email list if you have not done so already. Just click the link in the show notes below and you can sign up on my website. Also, be sure that you're subscribed to Filter wherever you get your podcast so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. Lastly, if you've been helped by this show, this episode, or any of our other episodes, it would greatly help us out if you left us a rating and review and shared this show with your friends. Leave Filter a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and also write a review on Apple Podcasts. Whenever you take these simple steps, it greatly helps us to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Well, without any further delay let's jump into this great conversation that i got to have with richard e Averbeck. richard welcome to the podcast thank you well it's great to have you on uh, i believe you are our first guests from trinity uh, we've had several different professors from different seminaries around the country here on the show uh, but you're our first from there and so glad to have you on uh i think you're also one of our first old testament scholars uh, I've had a lot of uh, philosophers, historians, theologians. Um, maybe I've had I've had at least one New Testament scholar uh, but I believe you're our first Old Testament scholar so welcome and congratulations on uh, groundbreaking here on the show for us.
1: Thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, well, as soon as I saw your book uh, come across in my—I uh, can't remember if it was in my email or on the IVP website—I was interested in it because it's a topic that, as I was saying before when we were talking, I think it's a topic that people are asking whether they're Christians going to seminary, in the academy, or just your normal church-going person, which is the question of the relevance and relationship of the law in the Old Testament to the Christian life. Uh, and th- this goes even deeper than uh, just the law itself, but uh, but the covenants of the Old Testament and so on, yeah. mm-hmm. and the connection between the Old and New testament. So definitely a lot to talk about here and a lot to unpack. But the title of your book is The Old Testament Law for the Life of the Church. And so whenever we talk about the law, the Old Testament law, I think there's a lot wrapped up in that term. And depending on what context we're using it in, we might be referring to slightly different things so let's just start by having you explain to us what is the law Uh,
1: the law is um, the stipulations of the covenant that god made with israel uh, at sinai through moses and uh it's under the covenant the covenant is the relationship between god and israel and the laws are given so that israel can learn how to live In the relationship with the Lord and one another in ancient Israel in their ancient Near Eastern world.
0: Okay and so what are the ways that we uh, what are we pointing to in the Old Testament where you're saying this is the law and where where is it expressed?
1: It starts with the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and then goes through the Book of the Covenant through chapter 23 And then there are other units, like uh, there's the law about uh, sacrifices in the temple. Uh, There's the law that is given 40 years later uh, in Deuteronomy, after they go through the wilderness wanderings. Uh, So it's the law that goes really from Exodus 20 through Deuteronomy chapter 26 is what we're talking about.
0: Okay. So whenever Jesus would have been debating with the Pharisees, uh, or whenever he would have been teaching and referred to the law, uh, is that what he would have been referring to?
1: Yes, he would have been referring to these regulations that are found for Israel in, in the Old Testament, yes.
0: And so is that the same thing as the Torah?
1: Now the Torah actually is a word that means instruction. It doesn't necessarily mean law. So it it's more... Uh, the Torah is, is the uh, five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And they are instruction, but laws instruct in a certain way, whereas narratives instruct in another way, poetry instructs in a different way, and so on. So uh, Torah means instruction and includes all of that. The law specifically refers to these commandments and the precedents that are co- recorded for us in uh, the books of Exodus through
0: Deuteronomy. I understand. So why is it that there are these, as you explained before, the law you know, starts with the Ten Commandments, then we get some of the law here, and then some of the law there. Why is it that we get the law in different pieces, just starting with the Ten Commandments in Exodus, but then we get another piece a little bit later on, and then later on, as you described, when we continue through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy?
1: Well, uh, the Ten Commandments uh, were intended to be written by God, uh, and so on, but they are spoken to Moses in the hearing of the people at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 through 24, in 19 through 20. And then, Moses is chosen to be the mediator for the nation, so you get laws given in the Book of the Covenant that came through Moses and he mediated to the nation for making the covenant at Sinai, which was ratified in Exodus 24. Then you get the regulations for the building of the tabernacle and the ministry in the tabernacle, because the first two commandments are about uh, you shall have no other gods before. It's worshiping the God of Israel. So worship is at the core of the covenant relationship between God and Israel. And so that becomes then what gets developed in the rest of Exodus and on through Leviticus and through some parts of Numbers. And that is a, another unit. And there's ritual laws in there. There's also laws for the community in terms of how they should live when they're traveling with the tabernacle uh, in, the, in their midst through the wilderness. After you get through the wilderness, the 40 years, they, they don't go in at Kadesh Barnea and so on, the rebellion there, the Lord keeps him in the wilderness. And then in the next generation, Moses is still leading the nation and he preaches the law. Really, Deuteronomy is a exposition of the law. It says that in Deuteronomy 1, verse 5. And so what he does is he reviews the law. You get the Ten Commandments again and you get the, the development of how the law is supposed to work for Israel as a people. Now, in this case, he's anticipating them being in the land after the conquest by Joshua. And so in Deuteronomy, you get an exposition of the law for how you must live it now as you go into and conquer and occupy the land. So these different units are just kind of natural units of material that are going to come Um, from some particular different historical context and theological purposes.
0: Mm. So you mentioned before that the law was given for the purpose of worship. And I think for a lot of people that that's new or that's hard for them to wrap their minds around because whenever they think about the law, well, they think about laws, which we typically Mm -hmm. don't associate with worship, where worship is based on uh, our affection and adoration of Mm -hmm. God and giving glory to him but they don't necessarily associate the same motivations such as affection admiration with following the laws they see that as some something more um you know it, it's not warm compared to worship it's mm-hmm. cold uh so help help us understand why what is the connection between law and worship and what was um why did god give his people uh the law in the context of a relationship uh, being the covenant?
1: Yeah, covenant is specifically a relationship term and so he's binding them together in relationship and now they need instruction as to how to live with him and with one another. That's why, and this may help, um, Jesus gives the two great commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you shall love your neighbor as yourself, the two great commandments in uh, Matthew 22 and parallel passages and uh, people uh, generally don't think of law in terms of those two great commandments but in fact Jesus says that the, the whole law all of the law and the prophets hangs on those two commandments love God and love your neighbor so the law has been about that all along that's the whole purpose of the law he says that with the golden rule too in Deuteronomy I'm sorry in Matthew uh, 7 um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you and 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 then uh, he says on, on this the whole law and prophets hang so I think that one of the big problems in the church is a misunderstanding of what the law was trying to do in the first place and that was to guide the people and how they should live as a nation before God in the old testament world such that they love God and love their neighbor now Jesus was asked to give only one great commandment but he refused to give one so he gave two love the Lord your God and love your neighbor they go together and so this is what the law has been all about all along but uh, people read it And think about it in ways that don't correspond to how Jesus said we should be reading the law.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think we we typically don't understand that uh, that love for God is expressed in obedience to him. Mm -hmm. I was just reading this morning in uh, 1st John chapter 5 and at the beginning of that chapter he's talking, uh, you know, once again about being children and being children of God means that we follow him that we uh, and we don't do uh, works of sin and so on and he said uh, you know being his children we show that we love him and we show that we love him by obeying him
1: mm-hmm. yeah. and so I just think yeah. that
0: we, um, we we often forget that we we think that uh, showing our love for God is something that is only uh, an emotional feeling but not something that's then followed up with acting out in obedience to what he says
1: yeah in fact in the previous chapter he's made the point that you can't say that you love god if you don't love your neighbor so again there's this movement that takes place in first john that helps us to see you've got to link these together and see the whole point of the law as being about that you mentioned people think of the law as just kind of a set of rules to follow that sort of thing They're, they're a set of guidance for how to do What you would do if you were going to love god and love your neighbor yeah
0: so with that in mind uh, we ask the question does the law still apply to christians today what does it mean for us does it apply to us or are there only portions of it that apply to us i think i think nearly everyone would look at the ten commandments and say well that still does but then we get into leviticus and numbers and we're we say i'm not so sure but if loving God means obeying what he says, how do we piece all these things
1: together? Well, uh, it's a really good question. And that's really the reason for the book. <laughs> uh, the, the The idea is that the, the whole law really does apply to us. The New Testament does this work for us to show us how. So the 10 commandments, I won't go into that because people kind of give us that anyway. Uh, in terms of what they think we should follow from it. but So, for example, even God gave them uh, a tabernacle and then a temple later on uh, as his residence among them. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, for example, this is just one example, uh, you have where the wall of partition has been broken down between Jew and Gentile. Now you have one body, and then he begins to talk about this as uh, a building being built together. We're all built together into one building, and that is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in that, he, he continues to develop that theme in the second part of Ephesians 3. And so we're all built together, we've got this height and depth and width and so on. He's using house building terminology. Mm-hmm. And he ends up saying that, uh, and through this we're filled up with the glory of God. Well, what filled the tabernacle, what filled the temple was the glory of God, him taking occupation. So so the thing that's so fascinating about this is it brings this uh, ritual temple system right into the life of the church and the believer as we are individually but also corporately temple of the holy spirit and that determines a lot how about how we're supposed to live you don't sin if you're in the temple you know what i mean or if you are the temple but what happens is we move from a place of worship in the old testament to a people of worship in the new testament and we are the temple of the holy spirit and that has always fascinated me so much because people have said the ritual law temple tabernacle things don't apply to us, but the New Testament applies them to us. And uh, the problem is, we try to divide it up, like moral, civil, ceremonial, and say this applies, this doesn't, that kind of thing in those categories. And the fact of the matter is, the New Testament uses all three for informing the Church as who we are and how we should live. And uh, that was what caused me to push back against a lot that has been written in the field because i think the biggest problem is we haven't understood the law in the first place in the old testament world and therefore when we come to the new testament we misunderstand a lot of what the new testament is doing with the law Mm. and uh so it's it's a big part of what i've written is about just understanding the law in the first place so you can understand what's going on in the new testament mm-hmm
0: you have these three basic theses in the book which is that the law is good the law is weak and the law is a unified whole and so like you said before you're, you're pushing back against that portioning out of the law that a lot of us were taught with so when we look at these different portions of the law let's take for example the ones that we had typically called like the ceremonial law that had to do with the people's worship so if the new testament says that we are now um, you know, so we're the people of God, and as people of God, uh, His Holy Spirit, His glory fills us, and so it's a replacement of the temple. Does that mean that what we would call the ceremonial law is something that we now uh, try to follow and apply to our lives? In other words, um, how, how do we go back now and read these sections of Leviticus and Numbers, um, and, and, and ask what does it mean for us practically speaking in our worship?
1: Well, we let the, the New Testament does a lot of guidance on this, actually. It does a lot with it. Uh, Basically, maybe we could say this. Christ was a sacrifice for us. Okay. And we are justified before God because of what Jesus did for us. It's not about what we do, but what he has done for us. Okay. And so that's really important to get that foundation. But Jesus became a sacrifice. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to become sacrifices too. That's just the nature of becoming like Jesus. So we get these passages that talk about, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, or mm-hmm. offer up praise, which is a sacrifice to God. And if in Hebrews 13, and, and I referred earlier to Romans 12, the the point is, and then in First Peter, you get that we're the stones built together to be the temple. And then were the priests in the temple too offering up sacrifices to God, First Peter chapter two. So we have quite a bit of guidance actually from the New Testament about how to live this this out in a way that corresponds to the nature of the new covenant. Perhaps I should add this in Jeremiah 31, 31 and following. It talks about the new covenant. It anticipates what's going to happen when God brings the New Covenant, which comes in Christ, as Jesus says. It's a New Covenant in my blood, he says. So what happens is in that passage back in Jeremiah 31, it talks about it's not like that old Mosaic Covenant. It's a New Covenant. And how is it new? And basically, it's new because we have the law now written on the heart of the New Covenant believer. The point is that the law comes through. The question is not whether it comes through. The question is how it comes through into our lives. And the New Testament does a lot with that. And I think we mess it up when we try to divide it into these units or different kinds of law. Uh, the text doesn't do that in the first place, but the, but the reality is the New Testament doesn't apply the law in that way either. So it's it's uh, it's got to be... Understood in terms of actually how the New Testament does it. You let the Old Testament do what it does and understand that. Then you let the New Testament do what it does and understand that. And that gives us a whole Bible life for the Christian.
0: Mm. And so what does that mean for other parts of the law uh, that would have applied to the, the nation of Israel and governing their laws, their um, how to settle conflicts, and so on? If we're not supposed well, to be dividing you know, the law, but taking it as a whole and seeing how to apply it to our life, how does the New Testament guide us in applying uh, those sections of the law, which maybe we call it like the
1: civil? Well, that's in love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, it's how you would, the way God is working out, Jesus says the whole law up, uh, hangs on these two great commandments. Mm-hmm. And what it does is you get the Ten Commandments as the main principles of law that get worked out then and they have implications for how we relate to God and how we relate to people so if there's conflicts we'll see that these laws are meant to be handled okay in a way that applies to the nature of us having the law written on our heart in the new covenant now jesus actually anticipates this in the sermon on the mount when he talks about he's not come to destroy the law or throw it away or anything He's come to fulfill it, to live it out, and to show us what it means to live out the law. And then he goes into these things about like, yeah, that you've heard that it was said you shall not murder, but I say you shall not hate. So, if you don't hate, why would you murder? You see, it it connects. Mm -hmm. If you, you're not supposed to commit adultery, you've heard the law says that. Well, I say don't commit it in your heart either. So if you don't have it in your heart, you're not gonna do it in your life. The Mm -hmm. point is, And that whole section deals with this. And the the point is that Jesus is telling us there what it looks like to live the law when it's written on the heart. And uh, that's what the kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming, the kingdom of heaven, is all about, is living it in such a way that, that heaven, in this kingdom of communities around the world, invades the kingdom of the earth and displays what it looks like to follow God. Mm.
0: So whenever Jesus tells us in the Great Commission uh, that we are to go to all nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that He commands, that includes uh, the law that He fulfilled. And so what does it mean to teach people all that He commands, teaching them the law in light of His fulfillment?
1: That's often referred to as the law of Christ. Okay, and that comes out in various passages in First Corinthians and Galatians and so on. Uh, this expression, the law of Christ. And uh, it based upon what he does with the two great commandments, it seems to me that the law of Christ is the way Christ has mediated the Old Testament law to us in Christ. Okay, in him. And, and the idea is to understand that if you're going to, go into all these nations, what are you going to take with you? Well, you're going to take the law as it's mediated to us in Christ. Uh, And that is in the two great commandments. That's usually what we think of it starting with. And then we just see how he taught it, which he did, like in the Sermon on the Mount and other passages, uh, how he taught it. But we also know what he means by living it by the way he lived. He becomes not just our teacher, but our example of what it looks like to live this way. And uh, then, of course, the apostles are supposed to come; those examples. I mean, it's supposed to continue on mm-hmm. in terms of people being an example of what it means to live the law written on the heart.
0: So, yeah, I, I don't know if this would be restating a question I already asked, but is there is there any part of the law that doesn't apply? to new testament christians or that we don't necessarily uh follow
1: yes yes there is because there's a difference in covenant we move from the mosaic covenant where the covenant is with a nation as opposed to the new covenant which is with groups of redeemed people around the world okay from in all the different nations we're not a nation okay And so there are certain things that just can't apply. For example, it wouldn't be appropriate to take someone, uh, even a murderer, uh, out of the church Sunday morning and stone them in the parking lot. You know what I mean? We're just not that kind of people. We don't have that responsibility. Our government does. So what happens is that uh, things have to change. Another element that's really important in the New Testament And not thought about as much by us is this whole issue of dietary laws clean and unclean animals Mm. Well, we learn Leviticus 11 about the clean and unclean animals and then it's very interesting in Leviticus 20 at the end of Leviticus 20 when he's talking about Israel staying separate from the corruption of the nations around about them he brings up the dietary laws and says make sure you keep the dietary laws don't eat unclean animals like the nations do because if you can't eat with them you can't have relationship with them. And so these dietary laws were meant to keep the Jews separate from the Gentiles. Now as I mentioned before Ephesians 2 Paul is talking about the breaking down of the wall between Jew and Gentile. And what happens there is that these uh, Uh, If you keep the Jews keeping these separation laws from the Gentiles, okay, then you got two churches, Jew and Gentile. It's not broken down. So, that became clear, actually, uh, from Acts 15 when Jews were wondering, what do we do with all these crazy Gentiles that are joining the church? They didn't know what to do with them. And some thought, well, we need to teach them to be circumcised and keep the law. And the decision was made, no, they didn't come to the Lord that way. They didn't receive the spirit that way, so we don't follow through with it that way. And so you can live the law in a Gentile way, or you can live the law in a Jewish way, (laughs) okay? And so what happens is this uh, development takes place where you can't have these dietary laws separating Jew from Gentile. And in fact, in Galatians 2, uh, Paul actually kind of blows up at Peter for separating out from the gentiles when people from james in jerusalem come because he didn't want to have a problem that way but paul basically says to them look what you've done you've created two different churches now and uh so this was a hard thing for them to figure out Mm -hmm. in the new testament days because the church started jewish so what happens is that those laws cannot follow through now those are part of the Holiness and purity regulations, these clean and unclean regulations. Okay? It's still important in the New Testament to be holy and to be pure. Okay? But you can't use those regulations, which are holiness and purity regulations, because they would cause a division between the church. But we're still concerned about holiness and purity. So what those laws were about in the Old Testament, we're still concerned about. But we can't apply them in the same way, because now we have a Jew and Gentile one church together
0: yeah that's helpful because i I, i'm just trying to you know like i said like many people trying to wrap my mind around this and i know that there's there's some on the one hand uh who today who argue that we need to follow the law so closely that we do actually start applying it to our lives you know in in a in a a literal way Mm -hmm. um Uh, following it or trying to shape the laws of our society uh, based off of the uh, Levitical laws, applying them in some, uh, or adopting them in some modern way, which, you know, doesn't quite sound right in light of these passages that you've referenced from the New Testament, you know, because we read those and, and you know, well, no, there's been some sort of change but on the other hand it would it does seem like it would be wrong to say well there's just whole portions of the bible that we can ignore now mm-hmm. you know but both of these extremes sound wrong and so i'm trying to figure out uh how do we respect and follow the law as a unified whole while understanding that uh some of it does apply to us differently or we we live it out differently
1: Yeah, I think that the way the term that I tend to use for this is transformation, because you move from one covenant to the new covenant, from the old covenant to the new covenant, and the law keeps being written on the heart, but that means it needs to be adjusted for the new covenantal people, okay? Because we're not a nation. Uh, Christ has now come. Pentecost has happened. All sorts of things uh, are have happened that hadn't happened back in the Old Testament days. So the result is that we have this uh, movement from the old to the new. But that's the whole point of the progressive revelation from the old to the new is to help us to understand, okay, what do we do with this and how do we do it? Mm -hmm. And it does a a lot with this, a lot more than most people realize. It really develops it uh, in pretty substantial ways. But it doesn't deal with every particular law, but it gives us so much to work with that we can understand what's going on and what implications this law in the old testament might have for how i live my life today in relation to god and people
0: yeah so if you reject the portioning out that's been classically used of the moral law ceremonial and civil law um, but in light of understanding that they do have different implications the, the the law as a whole and the individual laws within it has different implications for us uh well how then do you recommend or, or teach people to approach these different portions of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and so on, um, and understand how each one t- uh, differently applies?
1: I think it's uh, important to to get a little background for this. in In Romans seven and eight, Paul really deals with the law's good present tense it is good it's holy it's even spiritual I mean the law is a good thing now I've had people in church think of the law as a bad thing (laughs) okay but what I'm saying is Paul doesn't believe that he takes it to be good it still is good but it's weak and the reason it's weak is because it can't change a human heart no law can change a human heart not even God's law It was never designed law does doesn't do that it's a good standard. It's a holy standard. It's a spiritual standard that the Holy Spirit revealed and, and guided the prophets in writing. Okay. Uh, and we have it through the Holy Spirit. But that same Holy Spirit now is actually working within us in such a way that he brings it to bear in ways that correspond to the nature of what it should be to live well within the new covenant. And that gets developed in Romans 8. And he develops this spirit of adoption, okay, that we have. And this spirit of adoption uh, comes from the Holy Spirit, according to verse 16 and 17. It, it, it comes from the Holy Spirit testifying to my human spirit that I'm a child of God and have all that inheritance coming from God. And it's out of that that the Holy Spirit can actually change a human heart. The law can't do that. But it can be used by the Holy Spirit to guide one who has been changed, okay, Mm -hmm. to live well. That's the way it's designed, okay? So the law is weak, but it's weak because I'm fleshly. I'm sold into bondage to sin, as Paul says. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit actually then empowers change in me by his Holy Spirit working in my human spirit to convince me more and more deeply that I am a child of God and to live out of that rather than other things that come from my flesh. At the end then of Romans eight, you get a hymn to this whole thing. Who can separate us from the love of God, right? God isn't gonna condemn us. He sent Christ to deliver us. Christ is our, is our advocate in heaven and so on. Nothing in heaven or earth can separate us from the love of God that's what the holy spirit is working in me in such a way that i just lose interest in other things the more that gets worked into my life the more the power of god comes into my life because the holy spirit's making me working that change within my human spirit my life and how i look at things how i think about things what's important to me all of these things can change by this impact of the holy spirit working this spirit of adoption into my heart so now i have nothing left to do but go love god and people nothing else makes sense to me anymore
0: yeah so if someone said well if the law through the holy spirit is now written on my heart do i need to is it is it necessary for me to continue reading the law or whenever i'm going through my bible in a year plan can i skip leviticus numbers and deuteronomy
1: the the thing that's uh, a problem for that is uh, Second Timothy, three fifteen and following, where he talks about since Timothy was an infant he has known the law, and it, it's the word of God. And then he talks about that the it, that it's been inspired, it's it's been God breathed, and is good for instruction, direction, rebuking, and so on, to equip us now. This is Paul writing to Timothy right near the end of his life. He's already written a lot of scripture, and uh, uh, but he's talking about the scriptures that were written bef- when Timothy was an infant. That's before the New Testament was written. And so he's talking about all of them are ongoing useful. So it really is a wrong idea to think that since we have the New Testament, we don't need the old. Paul didn't think that way. And that was even after he'd written a lot of the new testament scripture Mm -hmm. so what's happening is that i think there's a lot of confusion about how the bible actually works the new testament assumes that you already know the old testament in fact in the first generation the old testament was the bible of the church and so when they're writing they're assuming you know that okay so that uh, when you're reading the New Testament you can have a better understanding of what the New Testament intends because you have the background they're using for writing the New Testament so there's a lot of depth that can come and empowerment that can come from the Holy Spirit bringing this Old Testament law into our thoughts ways of thinking what are God's concerns in ancient Israel well if he's concerned about this in ancient Israel how does that come across for how he's concerned for the way I live and the church conducts itself today so uh, this is all part of God's way of revealing himself to us and the the New Testament depends actually on the Old Testament for a lot of the empowerment that the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives Mm.
0: I think there's a lot of people who skip reading those portions of the Bible whenever they're going through a Bible reading plan or whatever else maybe not even because of an overt disbelief or bad Mm -hmm. theology but maybe just because they're hard. They're hard to understand. Mm -hmm. But whenever you argue the goodness of the law and and the necessity and relevance of it, even to the Christian life for us New Testament believers, whenever you argue this and convince people of it and then have them read the law. What are some of the things that you find that that typically surprise people when they finally do read the law? Because as as you said towards the end there, it reveals to us the things that God cares about. Mm-hmm. It also reveals to us the wisdom of God. I think, mm-hmm. and I'll let you share. But I, I think that I found whenever I read the law, how uh, you know, m- much of it is things that like are just very different for us today, especially in the ter- in the, the the rules of purification for women mm-hmm. and so on. But then there's other portions of it, particularly the the civil portions that I think we could. There's so much wisdom here that we could learn a lot from for structuring our societies uh in the portion of the law for the future king of israel and i think man we could learn a lot from this there's wisdom here so what are are some of the surprises and good things that you have witnessed in people whenever they finally do give the law a chance and read it
1: well there's quite a lot actually uh one of the maybe it would help to think about paul's use of you you shall not muzzle the ox while it's threshing okay in 1st Corinthians 9 he's using a civil law there you know you d- you just don't do this and why is he using that law well that's come commonly called civil law okay and uh, the reason he's using it is because there's reality in what happens with an ox when you're muzzling it if he's walking he's treading the grain he's gonna be straining at that muzzle constantly to eat the grain that he's treading out and uh, uh, it's just torture for for the for the for the ox to muzzle it while it's threshing. Mm. It's the same thing true for someone who's working so hard to serve the Lord among us, okay? And then you don't even provide for that person. It's it's like you're torturing this person uh, like you would torture an ox if you muzzled it mm. while it's threading. Uh, th- Paul draws these things out and he uses other such, regulations in such a way that that what you get is uh, a real clear idea of how we should be thinking about the importance of these different kinds of laws in the Old Testament coming through into the Christian life. Now, there are some of them, there are some things about it that are so connected to Israel living as an ancient Near Eastern people in an ancient Near Eastern world that it can be hard for us To figure that out uh, as to how it might come through you know you 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 can think about not weaving two different kinds of clothing together or 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 things like this but a lot of that comes out of other principles that they're just illustrating for the ancient Israelites that you Mm -hmm. live according to the way God has designed the world you don't mess up the design of the world you know there's this kind of thing and so He does a lot with that in in the law for ancient Israel. Here's how God has designed it, so live accordingly. Okay? And uh, I think we need to think about that too. We need to think about God has designed our world in a certain way and uh, we need to live according to that design rather than to the corruption of that design by the prince of the power of the air that we find in Ephesians.
0: Yeah, interesting. Can you expound on that a little bit more for people who that's a new thought for? The idea of much of the law and uh, or, or laws being illustrations, holding deeper principles that would be teaching the people of Israel.
1: Yeah, um, uh, well, I was thinking of that one in particular. Though, mm-hmm. don't weave two different kinds of clothing fabric together yeah. in the same garment, or even that one. And, the,
0: the underlying logic and principle of that help people to just expound on that. Helping people. Well, sure, understand I can it, do I think, that. That's, that's 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 huge.
1: Well, a, a lot of that is. It doesn't mean that it's evil to do that. It just means that it doesn't follow how God has designed things. Okay? You, you, you want to follow as much as you can the design of the way God has. There's wool, and then there's linen, and then there's you know, <laughs> yeah. this kind of thing. And one is made from wool, one is made from flax, you know what I mean? Oh, and so on. Yeah. And so you, you let that be. You don't interrupt that. And uh, there's other things like that that, that are uh, in the law that people, well, how in the world does that apply? Well, they're often this kind of thing where they're just saying, well, let's just keep it straight. Even in uh, Exodus 20, when he talks about, at the end of the chapter, talks about building up an altar of earth and so on and so forth. You don't cut the stones. You don't, you know, y- you keep it all natural, okay, and you just build it into an altar. Uh, This is before the tabernacle even existed. So the point is that in this context uh, you get a sense of the Lord is concerned with keeping his world the way it is. Okay? And living in accordance properly with it. It actually ties quite a lot into whole environmental ecological concerns uh, even today that we can see from Starting in the Book of Genesis on through, we can see God's concern for His creation to be handled well, and uh, it it comes through into the law as well. So there's um, things like that that can be. You know, I have a whole section in my book on don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Well, it actually, it it this is this is By the kid, kind you're of th- referring to a. Uh, a young goat, baby goat. Yeah, that's yeah, what just I meant. To, to <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, and and in it, uh, uh, the, the in this section of the book, I deal with the, the fact that well, if you're boiling a young goat in its mother's milk, well, what was that milk designed for? It was to nourish the young goat. In fact, it's a particular kind of milk when the when the goat is just born it's called colostrum and it's a it's a kind of milk that has special ingredients in it for the young and this kind of thing and you go ahead and boil the young goat in that, that's ludicrous mm. uh and completely against the whole pattern you're killing the goat rather than raising it health, in a healthy way and uh the, the baby goat and so the point is that uh this is a kind of thing that goes against the very nature of how god has designed things yeah. and uh a lot of the law kind of puts israel now it does it in an ancient near eastern way okay because that's who he was speaking the law to initially and there's transformations then that take place as you go from the old to the new okay that's just natural because we did different kind of community uh not a nation you know it's after the holy spirit has come in pentecost and so on there's transformations that take place, but the New Testament develops a lot of that to help us understand how you think about these things. And so you gotta let the Old Testament do what it does and let the New Testament do with it what it does and they work together.
0: Yeah. Do you have any, this might be a question for an historian, but do you have any good examples from church history of of how Uh, churches and uh, or church leaders christian leaders and societies have read the law uh, and the commands of jesus and then applied them to their culture in a way that transformed it and changed it
1: well one of the things um, i haven't really thought about that question in in that way but uh the church has by and large the church has really struggled (laughs) quite frankly with this issue of the Old Testament law for the church since the first Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 there's been this ongoing struggle that I think has come out of trying to artificially kind of figure it out okay and so what what I would say is that there has however been In spite of the wrong directions the church has taken on these things a lot of the time there have been places where people in the church just cared okay they just cared one of those areas is with exposed babies in the early church days okay if somebody didn't want a baby they just let it go and it died on its own well the Christians would take them and raise them okay and uh, and uh, in a very uh, giving way, okay? In such a way that that's something that stands out, okay, in the, uh, in the world of the church in the early centuries. Yeah. So what I would say is it's those kind of things that should stand out from the church in the world today. We need to be showing that kind of concern for God and people in such a way that we can... Uh, reflect the very glory of Christ uh, in what we do and who we are.
0: Yeah, yeah. the reason I was thinking about that is because I I think there's just so many examples that we can point to in our society. These assumptions that we all work upon today about what is, uh, about human rights and what is a, uh, and what is humanitarian when it comes Mm -hmm. to treatment of other living things and of the world around us and there's so much that we just take for granted as being common sense Mm -hmm. uh, or as being what should be universally accepted not realizing that not all that long ago all of these ideas many of them were not taken as common sense or just general universal human values that all should accept Um, for example the the one that you gave about not boiling a kid a baby goat in his mother's milk uh to us sounds as an obvious like brutal barbarian thing to do but in the ancient near eastern world maybe it wasn't all that barbarian you know and, and so it's been the application of the scriptures of, and of the bible to all the different cultures it's been in over time that that's brought about this society uh that we that we enjoy and take for granted now one of the biz- big ex- examples being the eradication of slavery mm-hmm. you know first in the ancient roman world but then in the uh in in uh 18th and 19th century england through people who were reading the bible and reading in the law about uh the for uh, uh, forbidding man stealing Uh, Or we could even use the example you gave before of not uh, muzzling an ox. Um, So the abuse of not compensating someone for the work they're doing, which would be an aspect of slavery. Mm -hmm. Um, And so yeah, so people were taking what they were reading in scripture, understanding the logic of it, and applying it to the world that they were in.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, I've done a lot of writing, actually, on slavery in the Bible and the ancient Near East, and one of the things that stands out is sometimes the misuse of the Bible Mm. uh, in supporting slavery, and uh, that's a big involved topic, and that's where you begin to realize that people sometimes use the Bible the way they want to use it, rather than what God intends, okay? God gives a lot of protections to slaves in the Old Testament, uh, but there was an ancient Near Eastern world they were living in, that's what I mean. It's It's got its ancient Near Eastern foundations. And even the New Testament does not eradicate slavery, okay? Uh, from what can happen, but it does talk about how you care for people. And in fact, it really even, it, it's interesting One of the uses even of Isaiah 53 in the Bible is in 1 Peter 2 when Peter is addressing uh, slaves, okay, in that culture. And he says, understand that you need to live as well as you can as slaves, okay? But remember that uh, even as you live as slaves, you may suffer unjustly but so did our Lord, and then it cites extensively from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage, and says, Mm -hmm. he suffered, you may need to suffer too. And it comes with the territory of living in this corrupt world, for Jesus and for us. And so, uh, unfortunately, people have sometimes used the Bible in ways that it was not designed to be used. Uh, The Bible never supported slavery, it's regulated it so that it would be protected, okay? People within it would be protected, but it never really eliminated it because it wasn't a reality in that world. They 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 needed to move it forward and so on and protect people and so on. But uh, this is a big and important topic that needs a lot of lot more discussion than it's had. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, and it's difficult to get into a big topic like that when we're at the end of your time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know we've, what we've, it is. Yeah, we, we've flown through our time here. Uh, it, it went by fast, but uh, just it, it's been a fascinating conversation. Like, like, like I said, one that I've been looking forward to because I've been looking forward to um, getting to ask you these questions and, and, and think through these different things. So I really appreciate it. Before we go, just what is uh, what do you hope to leave our listeners with? who've been following us in this episode, thinking through these things, considering the law and its relevance to the Christian's life. What do you hope to leave these w- listeners with?
1: Well, just to be followers of Jesus, love the Lord and love your neighbor, and live that out well, but do it as a whole Bible Christian, as one who sees the whole Bible as Scripture for me, for the church. So It belongs to us. He gave it to us. And then just read it well. You know what I mean. But it's 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 so rich, and there are points when you don't understand every detail of it. And I hold things in tension where I don't quite get this yet. But through my life, I found that sometimes what happens as I go forward and continue on, this thing later on begins to make sense mm-hmm. that I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So you have to just restfully in Christ, he called us to to rest for the soul, okay? He called us to restfully abide in him. And that's what I, I, I hope that uh, we can all learn to rest in Jesus and live from that rest.
0: Amen, I agree with that. Well, just thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed this talk. Once again, the name of the book is The Old Testament Law for the Life of the Church by Richard Aberbeck. For you guys who have been listening to it and enjoying this conversation and want to get a copy of the book, just go to the link to my show notes below, and you can uh, find the link to the book. Also, if you're interested in getting a copy of the book, IVP is offering my listeners a discount, so make sure you click on the show notes so you can go to follow that link and uh, get that promo code, take advantage of that discount. Once again, just look below in the description and show notes, and you can get all that info so you can get that discount on the book uh, for yourself or for whoever you would like to get it for, to be able to study it, and be able to become, as Richard said, a whole Bible Christian. Once again, Richard, just thank you so much. Enjoy this conversation. It's been fascinating, so thanks for your time.
1: Thank you very much. I have enjoyed this.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast. Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch up with later from me, you can go to my website, aaronchamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then,
1: hold fast to the end.